Always fun stuff when you go get the opinion of some kids, and I think Jacob's definitely got some potential as an interviewer or kindergarten teacher or maybe a combo of both. So glad that you are here with us, uh, whether you're worshiping in the room or whether you're watching this on video. And to start out, I want you to consider the question, when you think of God, what image do you have of him? When you think about God and how he operates in the world, what image comes to mind first? You know, for some people, they think of God kind of like a strict teacher, you know, writing down on a chalkboard all of the times that they mess up. There's other people who think of God kind of like an angry judge who's ready to throw the book at them, who's trying to prosecute them to the maximum extent. And there's other people that think of God kind of like an undercover agent who's kind of tracking behind them, ready to expose any of their secrets and any of the mistakes that they make. And there's others that kind of have that caricature version of God where he's an old guy with a white beard up in the clouds somewhere. But as he's up there, he's got the big book of life and he's just writing down in detail all of the times that we fall short. And there's other people who think of God kind of like a strict parent who's ready to reward us when we make a good choice, but when we make a bad choice, he's ready to punish us with the utmost discipline. Now, the problem with a lot of the images that we sometimes have of God is that they end up being God just waiting for us to mess up, that he's always ready to punish and to condemn and to remind us of how terrible we are. Now, there are many people outside the church who have these same ideas about who God is. I mean, many people feel that God and Christians are against them. They feel like the church is out to judge and to shame them. And, you know, maybe you've experienced that before. Maybe that's kind of in your church history. But, you know, when people feel like God is out to get them, well, then most of the time they want to run in the opposite direction. And so what we all desperately need to remember and to be reminded of again and again is that God is for us and not against us. And we need to be reminded of this again and again because it's almost too good to be true. It's, it's something that we have a hard time wrapping our head around, especially with all the experiences we have in our everyday life. But God is for us. He's not against us. And that's the message that we as the church are called to communicate to this world. You know, as a church here at Calvary, one of our core values is we are known by what we are for and not by what we are against. And yet today, all around us, people perceive the church and people perceive the Christians as being against them. But that's not God's heart. And that's not what the world needs to hear. The world needs to hear clearly again and again that God is for them. God is for us. And that God is for you. And so we're going to see all month as we enter this new series that we have the opportunity and the calling 
to share that good news with everyone we meet, that God is for them. We have the opportunity for our life to count for something eternal. We have the opportunity to be a part of God's mission to go and rescue lost people. And we can help God bring a bit of heaven down to earth even today. So to begin this journey, I want to start by focusing on this simple and basic truth. God is for you. Now, it sounds really great. You could put it on a bumper sticker. But why is it so hard for us to believe that? You know, when life gets tough, when we find ourselves in one of those valleys, when the stress piles up, it's easy to start wondering what in the world is going on and to ask, where is God and why is he doing this? I remember talking to a couple not a while back who had all sorts of things falling apart in their life, financial problems, relationship problems, parenting problems, job trouble. And the question they asked is, you know, why is God doing this to us? Have you ever been in that place before? You know, it's sometimes easy to struggle and wonder, what is God up to? Is he really for us? It's hard to make sense of a loving God and all the struggles that we face in this life. And I think that's why Paul, at the end of Romans chapter 8, asks five very purposeful questions. And these are questions that we've probably all asked ourselves before. But Paul wants us to understand even more clearly that God loves us and he's 100% for us. And in this passage, while Paul is talking specifically to Christians, we're also going to see that this same heart that God has for people who are following him already is also consistent with his heart for people who are far, far away from him. So I'm going to invite you to grab your Bibles and to turn to Romans chapter 8, and we're going to start in verse 31. Grab your phone or your tablet on the YouVersion app or grab the Bible in front of you. Romans chapter 8, starting with verse 31. And here's what Paul writes. He says, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died, and more than that, who was raised, who was at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers, nor height, nor depth, 
nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. In that incredible passage, Paul asks five questions. The first question that he asks in verse 31 is if God is for us, who can be against us? Now, the way Paul phrases that question makes all the difference in the world. If he had asked the question to us, who in this world can be against us? We could make a very lengthy list because every one of us faces opposition in our life. Every one of us faces difficulties in our life from bullies to diseases to disappointments to tragedy to frustrations, to failures. I mean, maybe you're in a season right now where you feel like you are up against opposition. And it might feel like everything is working against you. But you see, Paul asks the question in a very important way. He doesn't just say, who or what can be against us? He starts with that all-important truth by saying, If God is for us, then who can be against us? Paul says, start with that truth. If God is for us, because that changes the entire equation. You need to understand first that God is for you and he's not against you. And the thing is, Paul understood this personally because if there is anyone in history that God should be against, It's Paul himself. Remember, Paul was one of the biggest persecutors of the early church. His job was to round up Christians, to bring them to trial, to put them in jail, to have them tortured, and to have them killed. Yet one day, Jesus showed up in Paul's life and turned him around and transformed him. And Paul became the most important and influential missionary in all of history. You see, Paul is the poster child for this all-important truth. God is for you. And if you keep that truth in mind first, well, then the question becomes, then who or what can really be against us? When you face difficulties and you face struggles and you face opposition in your life, it's not them versus you. It's them versus God. And he's big enough to handle them all. You see, God created every single thing in the entire universe, everything we can see and everything we can't see. And that means he can certainly handle every one of our problems and every one of our struggles, and all of our opposition. Now, that might be a good thing to say. It might sound good, but it can be very hard for us to actually believe. It's so easy for skepticism, for fear, for doubts to creep in. And that's why Paul goes on to ask the next question in verse 32. And it's kind of a lengthy one, but Catch what he's saying here. He says, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for all of us, how will he not also, along with him, 
graciously give us all things. See, the question is, would God go so far as to send his only son to die for you and for me and then forget us in the middle of our struggles and our pain? Would God go so far as to give us the most incredible gift in the entire universe and then turn his back on us when we go through the trials and tribulations of life? Last Sunday, we had our confirmation service in the afternoon, and I shared one of my favorite stories about an author named Brennan Manning. And Brennan told the story in one of his books about growing up with his best friend, whose name was Ray. And they grew up in Brooklyn together. They did everything together. They eventually bought a car together when they were teenagers. They double dated together. They went to school together and so on and so forth. Eventually, they even enlisted in the army together and they went to boot camp together and they fought on the front lines together. And one night while sitting in a foxhole, Brennan was reminiscing about their good old days in Brooklyn while Ray was listening and he was eating a chocolate bar when suddenly a live grenade came into the foxhole and Ray looked at Brennan and he smiled. He dropped his chocolate bar and he threw his body on top of the live grenade and it exploded, killing Ray, but saving Brennan's life. Now, Brennan eventually became a priest, and when he became a priest, he was instructed to take the name of a saint, and he immediately thought of his friend Ray, Brennan. So he took on the name Brennan. Years later, he was visiting Ray's mother, who still lived in Brooklyn, and they sat up late one night, and they were drinking tea, and suddenly Brennan asked her, do you think Ray loved me? Mrs. Brennan jumped up from the couch and she shook her finger in front of Brennan's face and she shouted, what more could he be done for you? And Brennan said at that moment, he experienced an epiphany because he imagined himself standing in front of the cross of Jesus wondering, does God really love me? Is God remembering me? Is God with me? And Jesus' mother Mary, pointing to her son, saying, what more could have he done for you? You see, Paul is reminding us that God has way too much invested in us to ever forget about us. God gave his only son for you and for me. It's the most valuable gift that could ever be given. And so he will certainly not forget us in our time of need. But then that can cause us to think, well, maybe we've messed up too much and maybe God is just too angry at us. And so Paul brings up two more questions in verses 33 and 34. He says, who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? And then he asks, who is he that condemns. Now, I think we all know what it's like to hear condemning words echo in our heads. You know, there's no way God could love you after what you said or what you did. Or you're way beyond God's forgiveness 
and grace, or you're just a big disappointment to God. And it's that sense of guilt and shame that causes us to run away from God instead of running towards him. But where do those condemning words come from? What's the origin of those words that echo in our heads? Because the truth is, they can't come from God. Romans 8.1 says, So now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. See, those condemning words come from Satan, the accuser, who tries to condemn us and tries to cause us to lose hope. I'm reminded of a story of a little boy who got a brand new slingshot, and he was so excited to go outside and try it out. So while he was at his grandma's house, he was in the backyard, and he saw her pet duck walking by. So he took aim, and to his surprise, he hit it right between the eyes and killed it. And this little boy was horrified and quickly took the duck and hid it in the woodpile. And just as he finished covering up the body, he noticed his sister Jenny watching him closely. So after lunch, Grandma told Jenny to come help with the dishes. And Jenny responded, Johnny told me that he wanted to help in the kitchen today, Grandma. Didn't you, Johnny? And she leaned over and she whispered to Johnny, remember the duck. Well, after this went on for a few days, Johnny finally decided that no punishment could be worse than doing the dishes every single day. So he went over and he confessed to killing the duck to his grandma. And grandma said, I know you killed the duck. I was standing at the window watching you the entire time. And because I love you, I forgave you. I just wondered how much longer you would let Jenny make a slave out of you. You see, Johnny was already forgiven. He was already pardoned. But he still felt guilty and condemned because he was listening to the words of his accuser. How many times do we listen to Satan's accusations and condemning words and forget that God has already declared us to be forgiven. There's this amazing part of Romans chapter 8, and it shows up in 1 John and also in the book of Hebrews, and it's the image of Jesus sitting at the right hand of God. And as he sits by God's throne, what Jesus does is he intercedes for us. He speaks up on our behalf. And what he does is he constantly reminds God that we are forgiven. When accusations come against us, when condemning words come, Jesus reminds him again and again, I already paid the penalty for every one of those sins. And that one, and that one, and that one. Well, finally, there's one more question that Paul asks, and this is a big one. He finally asks, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? 
And I think the best answer to this question is actually a story. It's a familiar story to many of us. It's the story of the prodigal son. Remember how there was a wealthy father who had two sons and the youngest son came to him one day and said, dad, I wish you would die already because I need my inheritance. It's one of the most insulting things a son could say to his father. But the father who was graceful and loving said, I can take care of it. And he cashed in some investments and he gave the inheritance to the son and the son made off for the city and eventually blew all of his money on hard living and found himself homeless with nothing to eat. And this son suddenly remembered, well, all the servants and slaves back at my father's farm, well, they live a whole lot better than this. Maybe I can go back and just be like them. Now imagine the question that this son was pondering again and again, asking the question, what could separate me from my father's love? And then answering that question to himself, well, pretty much everything I've done so far. I mean, I've insulted him. I've lived irresponsibly. If anything can separate me from my father's love, it's what I've already done. So he makes his way back to his father's farm, all the while rehearsing what he's about to say. But Jesus says the father is waiting by the mailbox, by the side of the road, every day. And he's looking up into the horizon, waiting to see if that's the day that his son would be returning. And when he was just a speck on the horizon, it says his father hiked up his robes, which was unheard of for a dignified patriarch of a family. He hiked up his robe and he ran to his son and wrapped his arms around him. And before this young son could even start to apologize, he already had thrown him a party. You see, really the only thing that could separate him from his father's love was his own choice to ignore it. And the same thing is true for you and for me. God is always beside the road waiting for his lost children to return. And there's nothing you can do to make him give up on you or leave you behind The only thing that can possibly separate us from his love is when we turn our back and we choose to ignore it. You know, maybe today you need to simply turn around and recognize that he's been there all along because God is for you. God is for you. He's not against you. And that truth makes all the difference in the world. It should impact how we live. It should impact how we treat others. It should impact how we invest our time and our money and all of our resources. And so I want to leave you with three action steps today. Three action steps to help us process this incredible truth. The first action step is to remember. I want to invite you to commit to at least one thing that will help you remember that God is for 
you. Because when life comes at us, when we face opposition, when there's difficulties in our life, it's so, so easy to forget the simple truth. So what can you do to remember day after day that God is for you? Maybe it's saying every day you're going to spend at least a few minutes in God's word. Or you're going to read an online devotional. You're going to spend time in prayer. Check in with a friend. Get together with a small group. Maybe you just need to write it down on a post-it note and stick it on the bathroom mirror so you see it every day. I think we need to be reminded again and again and again that God is for us and not against us. Second action step is to reach out. Jesus gave us a job as his followers to be ambassadors for him, to be his representatives wherever we go. And many people's experience with God or the church or both are with people like us. And so we need to be so careful and intentional about how we interact with others, about the words we choose to use. Our job isn't to go out and tell everyone how awful they are or that the world is going to hell in a handbasket. Our job is not to go argue and debate. Our job is to go tell people the good news that we have a God who is for them. You see, our purpose as followers of Jesus, our purpose as a church, the why to why we exist is to point to the God who loves the world. And then our mission, our mission is to lead people into a growing relationship with Jesus. Church isn't about coming and just being comfortable. It's not about getting all the things we want or our wants and desires. It's about reaching out to others and helping them see that God is for them. So this week, keep your eyes open. God will put someone in your path, someone who needs to hear the simple good news that God is for them. And it's seen no more clearly than in the cross of Jesus Christ. Third and finally is about our resources. You know, every single thing we have Every talent we have, every single dollar we have was given to us by God. And we have the freedom to choose how we're going to use all the resources that he's given us. And as we go through life, we can live with closed hands trying to keep it all for ourselves, Or we can live with open hands, ready to share it with others. We can use all of our resources for our own selfish wants and desires, or we can choose to make a lasting investment in God's mission, which is for the world. So how would you answer the question, what are you for? How would you answer the question, what are you investing in? Are you for 
what God is for. You know, one of the best gauges of where our heart and where our priorities are at is our bank account. How we treat our money is really about trust. Are we just trusting in ourselves and all that we can accumulate? Or are we actually trusting in God, who is the giver of all things? We have the opportunity to make an investment that will last for eternity, to invest into God's mission to lead people into a growing relationship with Christ. So as you go from this place, how are you going to remember that God is for you? Who are you going to reach out to with that good news? And how are you going to invest your resources and be a part of what God is doing to redeem this world? I want to invite you to come back next week and we're going to talk about how God is for our communities and God is for our neighborhoods. And I think it's going to be an exciting time together. Will you join me in a word of prayer? Gracious God, we give you thanks that you are for us and you're not against us. That your love for us is constant. That you are always there for us. Even when we choose to ignore you or turn our back on you. God, help us to remember every day of your presence and your love, your grace and your help. God, help us to reach out to others and to share that good news that you are for them and you're for the world. And then God, we're so thankful for all the ways you've blessed us, all the resources you've given us. Help us to live with open hands investing into what you're doing in this world. Help us to make an eternal difference as we follow you. And so God, we trust all these things to your care. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, as we close out our time together, we have the opportunity to experience how God is for us in a tangible way, in something we can touch and smell, and feel, and taste. Because we're reminded that one night, Jesus sat down with his disciples and celebrated the Passover meal. And as they were sharing this meal together, Jesus took some bread and he broke it. And he said, take and eat. This is my body given for you. And he said, do this in remembrance of me. Then he took a cup and he gave thanks and he gave it to them to drink. And he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood shed for many. He said, do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And so we're going to invite you to come forward and to receive Christ's body and blood and to be reassured that he is for you and that he loves you, that he's forgiven you, and that he's sending you out to go and share that good news with all the people of the world. Now let's join together in praying the prayer that Jesus taught us to pray. Our Father, 
who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen.